Chapter six, part two of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, volume one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, volume one, by Charles Mackay. Fortune telling, part two. On Nairo criticism, or the art of interpreting dreams, is a relic of the most remote ages, which has subsisted through all the changes that moral or physical revolutions have operated in the world. The records of five thousand years bear abundant testimony to the universal diffusion of the belief that the skilful could read the future in dreams. The rules of the art, if any existed in ancient times, are not known. But in our day, one simple rule opens the whole secret. Dreams, say all the wiseacres in Christendom, are to be interpreted by contraries. Thus, if you dream of filth, you will acquire something valuable. If you dream of the dead, you will hear news of the living. If you dream of gold and silver, you run a risk of being without either. And if you dream you have many friends, you will be persecuted by many enemies. The rule, however, does not hold good in all cases. It is fortunate to dream of little pigs, but unfortunate to dream of big bullocks. If you dream you have lost a tooth, you may be sure that you will shortly lose a friend. And if you dream that your house is on fire, you will receive news from a far country. If you dream of vermin, it is a sign that there will be sickness in your family. And if you dream of serpents, you will have friends who in the course of time will prove your bitterest enemies. But of all dreams, it is most fortunate if you dream that you are wallowing up to your neck in mud and mire. Clear water is a sign of grief, and great troubles, distress and perplexity are predicted if you dream that you stand naked in the public streets and know not where to find a garment to shield you from the gaze of the multitude. In many parts of Great Britain and the continents of Europe and America, there are to be found elderly women in the villages and country places, whose interpretations of dreams are looked upon with as much reverence as if they were oracles. In districts remote from towns, it is not uncommon to find the members of a family regularly every morning narrating their dreams at the breakfast table, and becoming happy or miserable for the day according to their interpretation. There is not a flower that blossoms or fruit that ripens that dreamed of is not ominous of either good or evil to such people. Every tree of the field or the forest is endowed with a similar influence over the fate of mortals, if seen in the night visions. To dream of the ash is the sign of a long journey, and of an oak prognosticates long life and prosperity. To dream you strip the bark of any tree is a sign to a maiden of an approaching loss of character, to a married woman of a family bereavement, and to a man of an accession of fortune. To dream of a leafless tree is a sign of great sorrow, and of a branchless trunk a sign of despair and suicide. The elder tree is more auspicious to the sleeper, while the fir tree, better still, betokens all manner of comfort and prosperity. The lime tree predicts a voyage across the ocean, while the yew and the alder are ominous of sickness to the young and of death to the old. It is quite astonishing to see the great demand there is, both in England and France, for dream-books and other trash of the same kind. 
two books in England enjoy an extraordinary popularity and have run through upwards of fifty editions in as many years in London alone, besides being reprinted in Manchester, Edinburgh, Glasgow and Dublin. One is Mother Bridget's Dream Book and Oracle of Fate. The other is the Norwood Gypsy. It is stated on the authority of one who is curious in these matters that there is a demand for these works which are sold at sums varying from a penny to sixpence, chiefly to servant girls and imperfectly educated people all over the country, of upwards of 11,000 annually, and that at no period during the last 30 years has the average number sold been less than this. The total number during this period would thus amount to 330,000. Among the flowers and fruits charged with messages of the future, the following is a list of the most important, arranged from approved sources in alphabetical order. Asparagus. Gathered and tied up in bundles is an omen of tears. If you see it growing in your dreams, it is a sign of good fortune. Aloes without a flower betokens long life. In flower betokens a legacy. Artichokes. This vegetable is a sign that you receive, in a short time, a favour from the hands of those from whom you would least expect it. Agrimony. This herb denotes that there will be sickness in your house. Anemone predicts love. Auriculas in beds denote luck, in pots marriage, while to gather them foretells widowhood. Bilberries predict a pleasant excursion. Broom flowers an increase of family. Cauliflowers predict that all your friends will slight you, or that you will fall into poverty and find no one to pity you. Dock leaves a present from the country. Daffodils. Any maiden who dreams of daffodils is warned by her good angel to avoid going into a wood with her lover, or into any dark or retired place where she might not be able to make people hear her if she cried out. Alas for her if she pay no attention to the warning. Never again shall she put garland on. Instead of it she'll wear sad cypress now, and bitter elder broken from the bough. Figs, if green, betoken embarrassment, if dried, money to the poor and mirth to the rich. Heart's ease betokens heart's pain. Lilies predict joy. Water lilies danger from the sea. Lemons betoken a separation. Pomegranates predict happy wedlock to those who are single, and reconciliation to those who are married and have disagreed. Quinces prognosticate pleasant company. Roses denote happy love, not unmixed with sorrow from other sources. Sorrel, to dream of this herb is a sign that you will shortly have occasion to exert all your prudence to overcome some great calamity. Sunflowers show that your pride will be deeply wounded. Violets predict evil to the single and joy to the married. Yellow flowers of any kind predict jealousy. Yewberries predict loss of character to both sexes. It should be observed that the rules for the interpretation of dreams are far from being universal. The cheeks of the peasant girl of England glow with pleasure in the morning after she has dreamed of a rose, while the paysan of Normandy dreads disappointment and vexation for the very same reason. The Switzer who dreams of an oak tree does not share in the Englishman's joy, for he imagines that the vision was a warning to him that from some trifling cause an overwhelming calamity will burst over him. Thus do the ignorant and the credulous torment themselves. Thus do they spread their nets to catch vexation, and pass their lives between hopes which are of no value, and fears which are positive evil. Omens. Among the other means of self-annoyance upon which men have stumbled in their vain hope of discovering the future, 
signs and omens hold a conspicuous place there is scarcely an occurrence in nature which happening at a certain time is not looked upon by some persons as a prognosticator either of good or evil the latter are in the greatest number so much more ingenious are we in tormenting ourselves than in discovering reasons for enjoyment in the things that surround us we go out of our course to make ourselves uncomfortable the cup of life is not bitter enough to our palate and we distil superfluous poison to put into it or conjure up hideous things to frighten ourselves at which would never exist if we did not make them we suffer says addison as much from trifling accidents as from real evils i have known the shooting of a star spoil a night's rest and have seen a man in love grow pale and lose his appetite upon the plucking of a merry thought a screech-owl at midnight has alarmed a family more than a band of robbers. Nay, the voice of a cricket has struck more terror than the roaring of a lion. There is nothing so inconsiderable which may not appear dreadful to an imagination that is filled with omens and prognostics. A rusty nail or a crooked pin shoot up into prodigies. The century and a quarter that has passed away since Addison wrote has seen the fall of many errors. Many fallacies and delusions have been crushed under the foot of time since then, but this has been left unscathed to frighten the weak-minded and embitter their existence. A belief in omens is not confined to the humble and uninformed. A general who led an army with credit has been known to feel alarmed at a winding-sheet in the candle, and learned men who had honourably and fairly earned the highest honours of literature have been seen to gather their little ones around them, and fear that one would be snatched away, because, when stole upon the time the dead of night, and heavy sleep had closed up mortal eyes, a dog in the street was howling at the moon. Persons who would acknowledge freely that the belief in omens was unworthy of a man of sense, have yet confessed at the same time that, in spite of their reason, they have been unable to conquer their fears of death, when they heard the harmless insect called the death watch ticking in the wall or saw an oblong hollow coal fly out of the fire many other evil omens besides those mentioned above alarm the vulgar and the weak if a sudden shivering comes over such people they believe that at that instant an enemy is treading over the spot that will one day be their grave if they meet a sow when they first walk abroad in the morning it is an omen of evil for that day. To meet an ass is in like manner unlucky. It is also very unfortunate to walk under a ladder, to forget to eat goose on the festival of St. Michael, to tread upon a beetle, or to eat the twin nuts that are sometimes found in one shell. Woe, in like manner, is predicted to that white who inadvertently upsets the salt. Each grain that is overthrown will bring to him a day of sorrow. If thirteen persons sit at table, one of them will die within the year, and all of them will be unhappy. Of all evil omens, this is the worst. The facetious Dr. Kitchener used to observe that there was one case in which he believed that it was really unlucky for thirteen persons to sit down to dinner, and that was when there was only dinner enough for twelve. Unfortunately for their peace of mind, the great majority of people do not take this wise view of the matter. In almost every country of Europe the same superstition prevails, and some carry it so far as to look upon the number thirteen as in every way ominous of evil, and if they find thirteen coins in their purse, cast away the odd one like a polluted thing. The philosophic Béranger, in his exquisite song, Thirteen at Table, 
has taken a poetical view of this humiliating superstition, and mingled, as is his wont, a lesson of genuine wisdom in his lay. Being at dinner, he overthrows the salt, and, looking round the room, discovers that he is the thirteenth guest. While he is mourning his unhappy fate, and conjuring up visions of disease and suffering and the grave, he is suddenly startled by the apparition of death herself, not in the shape of a grim foe, with skeleton ribs and menacing dart, but of an angel of light, who shows the folly of tormenting ourselves with the dread of her approach, when she is the friend rather than the enemy of man, and frees us from the fetters which bind us to the dust. If men could bring themselves to look upon death in this manner, living well and wisely till her inevitable approach, how vast a store of grief and vexation would they spare themselves! Among good omens, one of the most conspicuous is to meet a piebald horse. To meet two of these animals is still more fortunate, and if on such an occasion you spit thrice and form any reasonable wish, it will be gratified within three days. It is also a sign of good fortune if you inadvertently put on your stocking wrong side out. If you wilfully wear your stocking in this fashion, no good will come of it. It is very lucky to sneeze twice, but if you sneeze a third time, the omen loses its power, and your good fortune will be nipped in the bud. If a strange dog follow you and fawn on you, and wish to attach itself to you, it is a sign of very great prosperity. Just as fortunate is it if a strange male cat comes to your house, and manifests friendly intentions towards your family. If a she-cat it is an omen, on the contrary, of very great misfortune. If a swarm of bees alight in your garden, some very high honour and great joys await you. Besides these glimpses of the future, you may know something of your fate by a diligent attention to every itching that you may feel in your body. Thus, if the eye or the nose itches, it is a sign you will be shortly vexed. If the foot itches, you will tread upon strange ground, and if the elbow itches, you will change your bedfellow. Itching of the right hand prognosticates that you will soon have a sum of money, and of the left that you will be called upon to disperse it. These are but a few of the omens which are generally credited in modern Europe. A complete list of them would fatigue from its length and sicken from its absurdity. It would be still more unprofitable to attempt to specify the various delusions of the same kind which are believed among Oriental nations. Every reader will remember the comprehensive formula of cursing preserved in Tristram Shandy. Curse a man after any fashion you remember or can invent, you will be sure to find it there. The Oriental creed of omens is not less comprehensive. Every movement of the body, every emotion of the mind, is at certain times an omen. Every form and object in nature, even the shape of the clouds and the changes of the weather, every colour, every sound, whether of men or animals, or birds or insects, or inanimate things, is an omen. Nothing is too trifling or inconsiderable to inspire hope which is not worth cherishing, or a fear which is sufficient to embitter existence. From the belief in omens springs a superstition that has from very early ages set apart certain days as more favourable than others for prying into the secrets of futurity. The following, copied verbatim from the popular Dream and Omen book of Mother Bridget, will show the belief of the people of England at the present day. Those who are curious as to the ancient history of these observances will find abundant element in the everyday book. The 1st of January 
If a young maiden drink on going to bed a pint of cold spring water, in which is beat up an amulet composed of the yolk of a pullet's egg, the legs of a spider, and the skin of an eel pounded, her future destiny will be revealed to her in a dream. This charm fails of its effect if tried any other day of the year. Valentine Day Let a single woman go out of her own door very early in the morning, and if the first person she meets be a woman, she will not be married that year. If she meet a man, she will be married within three months. Lady Day The following charm may be tried this day with certain success. String thirty-one nuts on a string, composed of red worsted mixed with blue silk, and tie it round your neck on going to bed, repeating these lines. Oh, I wish, oh, I wish to see who my true love is to be. Shortly after midnight you will see your lover in a dream, and be informed at the same time of all the principal events of your future life. St. Swithin's Eve. Select three things you most wish to know. Write them down with a new pen and red ink on a sheet of fine wove paper, from which you must previously cut off all the corners and burn them. Fold the paper into a true lover's knot, and wrap round it three hairs from your head. Place the paper under your pillow for three successive nights, and your curiosity to know the future will be satisfied. St. Mark's Eve. Repair to the nearest churchyard as the clock strikes twelve, and take from a grave on the south side of the church three tufts of grass. The longer and ranker the better, and on going to bed place them under your pillow, repeating earnestly three several times, the eve of St. Mark by prediction is blessed. Set therefore my hopes and my fears all to rest. Let me know my fate, whether weal or woe, whether my ranks to be high or low, whether to live single or be a bride, and the destiny my star doth provide. Should you have no dream that night, you will be single and miserable all your life. If you dream of thunder and lightning, your life will be one of great difficulty and sorrow. Candlemas Eve on this night, which is the purification of the Virgin Mary, let three, five, seven, or nine young maidens assemble together in a square chamber. Hang in each corner a bundle of sweet herbs mixed with rue and rosemary. Then mix a cake of flour, olive oil, and white sugar, every maiden having an equal share in the making and the expense of it. Afterwards it must be cut into equal pieces, each one marking the piece as she cuts it with the initials of her name. It is then to be baked one hour before the fire, not a word being spoken the whole time, and the maidens sitting with their arms and knees across. Each piece of cake is then to be wrapped up in a sheet of paper, on which each maiden shall write the love part of Solomon's songs. If she put this under her pillow, she will dream true. She will see her future husband and every one of her children, and will know besides whether her family will be poor or prosperous, a comfort to her or the contrary. Midsummer, take three roses, smoke them with sulphur, and exactly at three in the day bury one of the roses under a yew tree, the second in a newly made grave, and put the third under your pillow for three nights, and at the end of that period burn it in a fire of charcoal. Your dreams during that time will be prophetic of your future destiny, and what is still more curious and valuable, says Mother Bridget, the man whom you are to wed will enjoy no peace till he comes and visits you. Besides this, you will perpetually haunt his dreams. St. John's Eve. Make a new pincushion of the very best black velvet. No inferior quality will answer the purpose. 
and on one side stick your name at full length with the very smallest pins that can be bought. None other will do. On the other side make a cross with some very large pins and surround it with a circle. Put this into your stocking when you take it off at night and hang it up at the foot of your bed. All your future life will pass before you in a dream. First New Moon of the Year on the first new moon in the year, take a pint of clear spring water and infuse into it the white of an egg laid by a white hen, a glass of white wine, three almonds peeled white, and a tablespoonful of white rose water. Drink this on going to bed, not making more nor less than three draughts of it, repeating the following verses three several times in a clear distinct voice, but not so loud as to be overheard by anybody. If I dream of water pure before the coming morn, tis a sign I shall be poor, and unto wealth not born. If I dream of tasting beer, middling then will be my cheer, chequered with the good and bad, sometimes joyful, sometimes sad. But should I dream of drinking wine, wealth and pleasure will be mine. The stronger the drink, the better the cheer. Dreams of my destiny appear, appear. 29th of February this day, as it only occurs once in four years, is peculiarly auspicious to those who desire to have a glance at futurity, especially to young maidens burning with anxiety to know the appearance and complexion of their future lords. The charm to be adopted is the following. Stick twenty-seven of the smallest pins that are made, three by three, into a tallow candle. Light it up at the wrong end, and then place it in a candlestick made out of clay, which must be drawn from a virgin's grave. Place this on the chimney-place and in the left-hand corner, exactly as the clock strikes twelve, and go to bed immediately. When the candle is burnt out, take the pins and put them into your left shoe, and before nine nights have elapsed, your fate will be revealed to you. We have now taken a hasty review of the various modes of seeking to discover the future, especially as practised in modern times. The main features of the folly appear essentially the same in all countries. National character and peculiarities operate some difference of interpretation. The mountaineer makes the natural phenomena which he most frequently witnesses prognosticative of the future. The dweller in the plains, in a similar manner, seeks to know his fate among the signs of the things that surround him, and tints his superstition with the hues of his own clime. The same spirit animates them all, the same desire to know that which infinite mercy has concealed. There is but little probability that the curiosity of mankind in this respect will ever be wholly eradicated. Death and ill-fortune are continual bugbears to the weak-minded, the irreligious and the ignorant, and while such exist in the world, divines will preach upon its impiety, and philosophers discourse upon its absurdity in vain. Still, it is evident that these follies have greatly diminished. Soothsayers and prophets have lost the credit they formerly enjoyed, and skulk in secret now, where they once showed their faces in the blaze of day. So far there is manifest improvement. End of chapter 6 Part 2